This is your host, Scott Singer, and you are now tuned into Biofuels Daily. It is Wednesday, February 26th. What is a cation afraid of? A dog anion. Now to today's top stories. The first story I'm going to share with you today is a short editorial written by Douglas Durante, who is the executive director of the Clean Fuels Development Coalition, which is part of Biofuels Digest. As the U.S. biofuels industry struggles to regain the luster it had during the golden years of phenomenal growth, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, or USDA, <clears throat> came out recently with a puzzling claim of a bold new vision for agriculture and biofuels. In the face of shrinking demand, collapsing trade markets, poor margins, and constant attack by the petroleum industry, the USDA presented a 10-year plan for E15 and a 30-year plan for E30 that is neither bold nor visionary and clearly suggests they need to get their vision checked. 30 years? Really? 30 years? I guess some might note that Moses wandered the desert for 40 years, so in comparison, this isn't all that bad. But it is when you consider E15 is here now. For that matter, so is E30. It's not hard. You put 20% ethanol on top of gasoline containing 10% ethanol. USDA says they want to achieve market-driven blend rates, which is a curious thing for them to say, since the federal government is the very thing that has blocked these blends from entering the market. I was not invited to the announcement, but if I was, I would have shown them my new magic trick where I can make 30 years disappear. It's a simple trick. Provide a list of regulatory barriers, eliminate those barriers, and abracadabra, more ethanol appears. And with that, importantly, comes a lifeline to American agriculture and corn farmers, and more jobs, and new markets for automakers, and new tax revenue to local, state, and federal governments. And perhaps most importantly, a displacement of high-carbon, polluting, and toxic fuel with clean octane. There had to be people in the back of the line behind Moses yelling out, Moses, dude, do you know where you were going? Well, that's where we find ourselves with the USDA. It was nothing short of shocking that this announcement was met with applause and cheers from too many groups that should have been offended. This would be like your boss announcing they're giving out raises, but not for 30 years. Like the folks in the back of the line with Moses, people need to ask the USDA if they have any idea what they're doing when they suggest a lead time like this. USDA is, by some definition, a regulatory agency, but at its core, it should be an an advocacy agency for America's farmers. What kind of relief and help is this? With corn prices stagnant, farm income down, farmer bankruptcies and suicides at an all-time high, is this by any measure to be considered relief? It is particularly egregious when solutions are there to be had. The federal agencies should be working together for the good of the American people, and the USDA has only to walk a few blocks down to Pennsylvania Avenue to coordinate with the Environmental Protection Agency to make that a reality. Every single obstacle you can name that is keeping higher blends of ethanol out of the market is something that can be eliminated without legislation, subsidy, or legal action. It is particularly frustrating given the Trump administration pounds its chest as the deregulatory administration, which has been true for the fossil fuel industry, but not so much for ethanol. But wait, you say we got E15? True, but it came at a steep price as it defines gasoline as fuel containing more than no more than 15% ethanol. In our comments on that rule, from CFDC, Urban Air Initiative, and others, we made the case that there were no reason to limit the RVP waiver to 15% 
since increasing volumes actually drive vapor pressures lower. But maybe that's part of a grand plan by the fossil fuel interests running the EPA take the next 15 years to go another 15%. USDA should be pounding on EPA to fix this issue and the litany of others that are keeping ethanol down. There should be no limit on the amount of ethanol allowed in gasoline and don't tell me the automakers need 30 years to retool for blends up to E30. New cars could be calibrated and tweaked to be compatible with these blends in three years according to many experts. And consumers would have the choice of using these blends as so many do now in the legacy fleet i.e. cars on the road today. With that, we would see dramatic increases in mileage and a reduction in carbon emissions meeting public policy goals affecting both climate change and health. If automakers see these higher ethanol blends in the market with their high octane and, with their high octane and low carbon pedigree, they will make these cars with compression changes in onboard computers that will shock people with their efficiency and performance. But what else could bridge this ridiculous 30-year gap Plenty. EPA needs to, uh, number one, establish a higher minimum octane standard for all gasoline sold in the United States. Higher octane opens the entire playbook for automakers to move to more efficient, higher compression engines. A nationwide requirement assures these fuels will be widely available and launch a new generation of efficient cars that people actually want and can afford, as opposed to the misguided vision that everyone is going out to go buy a Tesla. Number two, they need to approve a mid-level ethanol blend certification fuel. EPA should expeditiously approve the use of a mid-level ethanol certification fuel to provide automakers with the necessary pathway to design optimized higher compression vehicles optimized to use 98 to 100 RON gasoline. Third, they need to comply with the mandatory toxic reduction provisions in section 202I of the CAAA by ensuring octane does not come from the worst part of the oil barrel, it would result in a market-driven demand for ethanol, the highest octane blending component available today. The first step in this process is for EPA to conduct a new cost-benefit analysis that will show ethanol is a high, healthier, cleaner, cost-effective replacement for more aromatics. Number four, we need to correct the agency's misinterpretation of 211 F substantially similar rule and accept that ethanol is an essential part of the fuel pool and at all levels is substantially similar to gasoline in emissions and performance and in factor is superior and in fact is superior as with the RVP issue there should be no cap on ethanol blends number five they need to update and reform the agency's moves 2014 model faulty models based on faulty inputs are unfairly penalizing ethanol for emissions Number six, they need to update the agency's corn ethanol life cycle analysis, or LCA, updating the EPA's woefully outdated 2010 life cycle assessment of ethanol's carbon emissions would align their data with the more recent and widely accepted Argonne National Laboratory GREET model, allowing ethanol to be part of the current debates on climate strategies. Number seven, they need to reinstate credits for automakers producing engines optimized for high octane, like 100 RH. OS using E30. When are we going to learn a carrot is preferable to a stick if electric vehicles have a multiplier in terms of efficiency rating because they displace oil, why shouldn't internal combustion engines also be incentivized to be efficient? A final question that is fair to ask, but even easier to answer, is can we make the necessary volumes of ethanol? My members, both from the agriculture and production side, have, can, and will make it happen. 
Corn is abundant and inexpensive, and with growing competition from Brazil and their burgeoning corn and ethanol production, our international markets are shrinking. Our corn carryout, the amount after meeting all domestic and export demand, is more than sufficient to increase ethanol production, and with that comes corn fiber and oil extraction technologies that offer further market opportunities for American agriculture. And no, we won't be plowing under pristine land. Increased efficiency in corn production, coupled with increased yields in the ethanol process, are positioning corn ethanol as a true low-carbon fuel. Maybe if Moses had asked for directions to the promised land, they could have cut the 40 years down. Well, the USDA could and should get directions from someone who actually knows where they're going and how to get there, and it won't take 30 years. Our second story of the day comes out of California. Biofuels Digest reports that AgFunder is reporting that investment in food tech and ag tech startups has reached $19.8 billion, which is a 4.8% decline by dollars and 15% by deals. Food delivery startups led the downward trend, raising 56% less year over year. AgFunder also reported that investment in upstream startups continued to grow, closing $7.6 billion in investment, a 1.3% year-over-year climb, including the best-performing H2 on record. The West Coast publication, always a must-read among VCs, reported strong growth for meat alternatives, indoor farming, robotic food delivery, and cloud kitchens. Also, upstream startups in alternative proteins and vertical farming drove upstream investing to 1.3% growth. European funding doubled and there was special level of activities in the UK despite Brexit, with agri-food tech investing up to 94% in 2019 in the EU. Latin America reported $1.4 billion in cap raises as well. California continues to dominate the U.S. landscapes we hear. One bright note is the interest from strategic investors and major players outside the sector and ag funder pointed to SoftBank, Temasek, Amazon, Microsoft, KKR, Sequoia, T. Rowe Price among these. Our third and final story of the day comes out of the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign Institute for Sustainability, Energy, and the Environment. Perennial grasses can be converted into everything from ethanol to bioplastics, but it's unclear which bioproducts hold the greatest potential. BioSteam, a new open-source simulation software package in Python, developed by researchers at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, gives scientists, engineers, and biotechnology companies and funding agencies a fast, flexible tool to analyze the economics of producing different biofuels and bioproducts in a matter of seconds. BioSteam, which stands for Biorefinery Simulation and Techno-Economic Analysis Modules, allows researchers to quickly compare and prioritize strategies for converting biomass to fuels and products. It also generates data that can be used to evaluate the environmental impact of biorefineries, including greenhouse gas emissions, paving the way for a sustainable bioeconomy. The project by lead developer Yoel Cortez Pena, who is a National Science Foundation graduate research fellow and PhD candidate in the Department of Civil Environmental Engineering, and his advisor, Associate Professor Jeremy Guest, was published in the latest issue of ACS Sustainable Chemistry and Engineering. Both researchers are part of the Center for Advanced Bioenergy and Bioproducts Innovation, also known as CABI, which is a U.S. Department of Energy-funded bioenergy research center. Understanding the economic and environmental implications of technology is particularly helpful early in the development pipeline so we can prioritize research and development in directions that can be most impactful, Cortez Pena said. Techno-economic analysis, or TEA, 
provides critical information on the economic viability, technological hurdles, and venture risk of producing biofuels and bioproducts. Typically, that requires specialized researchers who prepare detailed designs of biorefineries and run simulations, a burdensome process that is time-consuming, expensive, and a barrier to early-stage research, the researchers said. It can take months to do an analysis of a single design for a single idea, and after that, the analytical tools are still only accessible to researchers who specialize in techno-economic analysis, Guest said. Those evaluations typically neglect technological, environmental, and market-driven uncertainties. Cortez Pena said, and many existing simulation tools are proprietary, so, comp so comparing models is difficult. Biosteam provides the building blocks to simulate a biorefinery, and its flexible framework allows for design, simulation, and techno-economic analysis that incorporates uncertainties as a key feature. The researchers used Biosteam to model the co-production of biodiesel and bioethanol from lipid cane, also known as oil cane, and the production of second-generation ethanol from corn stover. The analysis factored in 94 parameters for the lipid cane biorefinery simulation and 228 for corn stover, everything from financial assumptions to the performance of each individual operation, such as the efficiency of a separation process or how well the microorganisms convert sugar to ethanol. It also embraced the uncertainty of those factors, providing a range of values and allowing for more flexible simulations. Why is that important? Other models might estimate the cost of biofuel or bioproducts with a single number, a dollars per gallon figure, but in reality, many assumptions feed into that number and they aren't certain or transparent, Guest said. Biosteam provides a range of numbers to more accurately represent the likely cost. It also allows researchers to do rigorous sensitivity analyses, for example, to determine which factors fuel costs are more sensitive to. Case in point, the study demonstrated that a key driver of fuel costs is the size of the biorefinery, in particular, how much corn stover it processes, Guest said. The larger the facility, the lower the per gallon cost. That information can be linked to work by other researchers who study supply chains or what land is suitable to grow crops to help site biorefineries. In the past, models generally assumed one size for a facility without quantifying the implications of that assumption. Bausteam's speed is transformative. It was able to evaluate 31,000 different biorefinery designs across a continuum of feedstock compositions in less than 50 minutes. The results matched benchmark models and through sensitivity analysis revealed key bottlenecks for research and development. Using Biosteam, anyone can design a new biorefinery and simulate it in the software, Guest said. But it's also set up so that each time we write the code for a new biorefinery, that code can be made publicly available. Anyone working on those types of technologies can go in and easily change the scenario and explore the data for themselves, he said. Users could plug in different policies, financial incentives, tax structures, feedstocks, or technologies and immediately understand the implications of those changes. The goal is to make techno-economic analysis more available to researchers who have ideas about how to improve feedstocks or how to develop new conversion technologies to produce new biofuels or bioproducts and help them make rapid decisions about which to pursue, Guest said. That would include anyone in technology development, researchers, companies, and investors working on emerging technology or funding agencies that have to prioritize research and development. The intent here is to expedite innovation, he said and more quickly get concepts to deployment to bring down the cost of biofuels so that they are more financially viable and environmentally sustainable. Eventually, he said, DOE would like all petroleum products from fuel to plastics 
to be made from sustainable alternatives. The intent is to replace the entire barrel of oil with biologically derived products, he said. BioSteam is available online through the Python Package Index at pi.org, a lifecycle assessment LCA add-on to BioSteam to quantify the environmental impacts of biorefineries developed by Cabby postdoctoral researchers Rui Shi and the guest research group is also set to be released in March of 2020. To further increase availability of these tools, Guest's team is also designing a website with a graphical user interface where researchers can plug new parameters for a biorefinery simulation into existing configurations and download results within minutes. BioSteam's creators drew on open source software developed by other researchers, including a databank with 20,000 chemicals and their thermodynamic properties. That's part of what makes this possible. Communities of researchers who are working to make these tools more available to everyone, Guest said. So let me know what you thought about today's podcast and send me an email to biofuelsdaily at gmail.com. Lastly, if you could please subscribe to my podcast and leave a rating, it would be greatly appreciated. Thank you for listening and remember to always go green.